0: a short mini-series on um, looking at Jesus coming to earth and what, in the Old Testament, they were expecting Jesus to be and what they were looking forward to. Um, And so we're looking at Jesus being a prophet, a priest, and a king. Now, uh, if you know anything about the Bible, this is super important, that he would, in Revelation 1-5, it describes Jesus as being three things, that he's the faithful witness, he's a prophet. He's the firstborn of the dead, he's a priest, and he's the ruler of the kings on earth, and so he's a king. So if you, uh, if you study anything in the Bible, him being a prophet, a priest, and a king is a very big deal. So I'm preparing this, and I'm, I'm working it through, and I'm thinking, who cares? Like if you, uh, you know, tomorrow, tonight, right now, Do you care that Jesus is a prophet? Is that important to you? Is it going to change how you live tonight or tomorrow? Is it going to make any difference? Especially him being a prophet. How does this affect anything? How does it change the way that we live? How does it affect our hearts? And I think about the disconnect between things that the Bible teaches and the way that we live. And it can be hard to connect those things, can't it? Sometimes it feels as though the things in the Bible are a list of things that we should believe to be true. And we go, yes, if I'm a Christian, I have to believe these things. That's really important. And then I just live my life in a particular kind of way that I enjoy. And it's hard to see how the things that the Bible values are things that could actually change our lives. And so what we want to be able to do in this series is say, how does the fact that Jesus is a prophet, a priest or king, how do these things actually change the way that we live. And so today we're going to be looking at what a prophet is. So let's begin. What is a prophet? Now, if you've heard that word before, maybe what comes to your mind, even if you would call yourself a Christian, is kind of a prophet is kind of like a Christian fortune teller. And that what a prophet does is they kind of read your mind or they predict something that's going to happen in the future. And then when they do those kinds of things, we say that they're prophesying. Well, um, that really has very little to do with what the Bible describes as being a prophet. A, a, a helpful definition of what a prophet is is God's mouthpiece. So a prophet in the Bible is somebody who speaks on behalf of God. You can imagine that being an incredibly important job that you would actually communicate to somebody else the heart and mind of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Prophets, though human... Spoke from God as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so, what a prophet does is hear things that God wants to say to us. That's what a prophet does. Uh, They explain our reality from God's perspective. So, you can imagine this being incredibly helpful. Uh, Think about the way that you make decisions. How do you decide what you're going to do today? How do you decide what's right and wrong? Uh, It seems as though most of our life is built on our own ideas and imagination, our own opinions. The closest that we can get to in terms of of truth is uh, statistical odds. That it seems like this is probably the most true given everything. What a prophet does is declare things from God's perspective that are described as truth. God's perspective is true. So in the Old Testament, uh, listen to what's said about a prophet. Okay, this is sobering. I don't know if you want to sign up for this job. This is a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded is to be put to death. In the Old Testament, you, if you if, if you were uh, called to be a prophet, that was your office, that was your responsibility, and uh, you somehow used that office to describe something that God wasn't actually saying, you were to be put to death. The office of a prophet, different than today, but in the Old Testament, the office of a prophet was God speaking through that person the truths of God. Incredibly important. Very reassuring, and so a very, very high standard, because you don't want to go around saying that you're prophesying, and really you're just only talking about human opinion. So a prophet is God's mouthpiece that liberates us from our human opinions and understanding. Uh, you know, I, I, I think about the primary prophecy that has been given us as the Bible. It's described as a prophetic word in 1 Peter Without the Bible, we're left with having to invent life on our own terms. But God comes through his prophets and tells us what's right. So what that's first point, God's mouthpiece. What do prophets focus on? The primary thing that prophets focus on is our relationship with God. When I, uh, I became a Christian when I was 11 years old, and then I, I got exposed to, you know, Christian teaching, and one of the things that I was taught very early on is that there's two kinds of gods in the Bible. There's the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. And they were very, very different. In the Old Testament, God was mostly upset and super angry. And so he was full of wrath and judgment. And then when the New Testament came on, and Jesus came on the scene, then he became a better kind of God. He was much more loving and kind and generous. And, uh, and this is the God that we always want to worship. And so people, when they read the Bible, they go, well, I'm really not very interested in the Old Testament. I much more prefer the New Testament, because it's much happier. Jesus dies for my sins. I really like that part. And so we can kind of ignore most of the Bible, thinking that the message of the Old Testament is really a message of judgment and condemnation. And nothing can be farther from the truth. When prophets prophesied in the Old Testament, what they were always communicating was God's heart for relationship and what a healthy relationship with God would look like. But here's the problem. It's not that God was judgmental. It's that the people kept not wanting a healthy relationship with God. And so as the prophets spoke to the people, outlining the love of God and his desire for relationship, they would say, ah, uh, no thanks. I'd really much rather do something else. And so the prophets are continually coming to the people and say, look, this is what God wants for you, and you keep choosing things that alienate you from God, and you end up condemning yourself by the choices that you make. I want to read one uh, excerpt. It's a small excerpt from the Old Testament that if you want to summarize what, uh, what God would speak to his people about prophetically in the Old Testament, this is how it goes. It's in Hosea chapter 11. Uh, God says, look, uh, here's the kind of things that you do. You take your children and you, you literally burn them to other gods. I can't tolerate that. The way that you relate to one another, you have murderous thoughts. And you only have evil intent towards others. You lie, you cheat. There's blood on your hands. There's no way that I can ignore that in good conscience. I wouldn't be a good father. And so I have to, I have to, for the sake of protecting others, I have to intervene, and I have to pronounce judgment. But listen to how he talks in Hosea chapter 11. This is the, if you want a glimpse into the heart of God and the wrestling that he does inside, my heart has changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. Word for Israel. For I am God, not a man, the Holy One among you. If you want to know God's heart, read the Old Testament and discover, you know, I, I was I was thinking about this sermon. I had a, a really, I mean, it's kind of a a dumb analogy, but it's the best that I could think of. A few years ago, we had a dog, and the dog's name was Teddy. And uh, it got to the point in Teddy's life where he was blind, he had a liver disease, it was not going well. And so we decided that the most loving thing to do was to put this dog down. Uh, And we thought that the the best way to do that would be to be at the vet when this happened. And so we take our our family pet to the vet, and they say, "Sure, you want to do this?" Yes, we think that it's just out of mercy to the dog that uh, that we we think that we should do this. And so they they give a dog an an injection that kind of puts them into a sleep, and then they give them a lethal injection. And we're all there, the family's there, and then the the vet is listening to the heart beat, and then when the heart stops, he says. Uh, He just goes like this. And I remember in that moment thinking, I made a choice to end a life. And it's not a human life, but it's a life. And I made a choice to end a life. Should I, blind, liver disease, should I have prolong that life? Um, Was it just thinking about ourselves? Was it just inconvenient? Um, I'm sure that, you know, our dog would have wanted to live longer. These are the things that go through your head, right? And then I'm thinking, uh, God sustains all life. The reason why you are breathing right now is because God has decided to let that happen. Now, I have this tiny little glimpse of the responsibility of a life, and it's overwhelming. And God consumes himself with 7 billion people and the responsibility to show kindness to everybody but also to make sure that in his kindness we don't hurt one another and violate our relationship with God. Can you imagine? How do you handle that kind of pressure? How do you, how do you make decisions? I remember reading in the, uh, in, in the beginning of the Bible, people at the beginning of humanity would live for a thousand years. That's a long time. And then God looked at humanity and says, in, the, in the, the length of people's lives, just causes them to be more and more violent and unkind to others. And so I'm going to make a decision, and I'm going to put a number on how long people can live for. It's going to be 120 years. And I'm not going to let anybody live beyond that. I don't know, maybe there's an exception. I haven't heard of anybody that was longer than 120 years. But imagine being the one to think that and then do that. This to me is remarkable. And so, prophets let you in to the heart and mind of God and the wrestling of God in mercy and justice and how to have a healthy relationship with us and how to have a healthy relationship with one another. And I used to, I mean, I've read through the Bible many times. Right now, I just finished Matthew, and I'm back in Jeremiah. And uh, I'm in the middle of Jeremiah. And and God's speaking again through his prophets. And Jeremiah says, uh, I... God speaking through him, I cannot ignore the violence and unfaithfulness in my city, Jerusalem, and so I have to destroy it. And the people rise up against Jeremiah and say, kill him. How dare him talk about our city in such violent ways. Surely God is a kind God. And then someone intervenes on his behalf and says, you know, this has happened before when we've forsaken God. But when we listen to the prophets and repent, God actually changes his mind. is kind to us again. If you don't understand God's heart, read the Old Testament. And you will discover not a God of wrath. You'll discover a God of mercy and justice who takes his responsibility to be king of heaven and earth incredibly seriously, and he holds our life in his hands and seeks to do what is best for all humanity. This is the responsibility. Can you imagine the responsibility of a prophet to communicate the heart and mind of God in any given moment? Sobering, incredibly sobering. I think of a modern-day example of this. I was pastoring in another church, and there was someone in that church who was considered to be a prophet. So, uh, the Bible teaches that we can all hear God if we're if we're if we if we're Christians. God's Holy Spirit lives within us, and so we can hear God. It's amazing. But there's some people who God has designated to be able to stand as His mouthpiece, even today. And so, there was one of these. Uh, uh, it was a relatively young man in our church who was who, who was a prophet. And he came and spoke to somebody who was on staff at our church. He was a counselor and a full-time counselor and had been doing it for a number of years now, had quite a, uh, let's just say, colorful life in the past. He had given his life to Jesus, followed Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And this prophet came up, to him and said in front of a number of witnesses closed meeting not in a public meeting but in a closed meeting with a few other people there he says uh, God sees that you have gone back into uh, uh, into sexual sin and your sin is so grievous to God unless you repent he's going to take your life <clears throat> I've only heard a prophet ever say that in this one time. I'm going to take your life. The, uh, the man who heard this was insulted, and his response to the prophetic word was to engage in an orgy the next weekend. He contracted AIDS and died within the year. Prophets describe our reality from God's perspective and call us to recognize who we're actually dealing with when we live our lives. So I don't know about you, but I prefer to live my life not thinking about any of those things. I don't want to think that he's allowing me to breathe. I don't want to think that uh, when, uh, when we when we kill children through abortion, that that brings judgment on our nation. I don't want to think about those things. I just want to live a happy life and not think too deeply. And prophets bring God's perspective into our reality in the most profound of ways. So, this is who we're dealing with. Now, how is Jesus the prophet um, he is the source of all prophecy because he's god and he's the fulfillment of all prophecy and we'll find out how in a minute in john 1:14 it says this the the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us jesus is the word of god meaning he is truth himself he doesn't just think up of truthful ideas he is the truth and so everything that he says is right and pure and just and holy. And this truth that prophets spoke about has, has now come and is actually living among us. The truth is living among us. You can actually see the truth, not just hear about the truth. Remarkable. Listen to how Jesus' life is, uh, is described. So this is Jesus speaking in a synagogue, and he's quoting the prophet... Isaiah, this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. That's how they read scripture back then as they didn't have Bibles like this. They had scrolls. He rolled up the scroll of Isaiah, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Why? They've heard that uh, quote from Isaiah probably dozens of times before, maybe even hundreds. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the prophet who's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, recovery of sight, setting prisoners free. I don't just talk about it. I'm going to do it. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and all that prophets talk about, he now does. Incredible. Can you imagine living in Jesus' time and actually not, I mean, it's, it's how we live now, right? It just, God kind of seems one step removed from reality. And what we find here is that the prophet is not just the mouthpiece, but the body that actually does what God wants done because he is God. Wow. I would give anything to be in that time and watch that. So Jesus is the long-awaited prophet, the long-expected prophet. He is the one who you've heard about God, now you see him. He's been the source of everything that's been said through the whole entire Old Testament. And now that word is personified. That word is a living being standing in front of you, not just declaring, but demonstrating the truths of God. The Holy One among us. Absolutely remarkable. So, you have this, uh, you have a a group of people called the Jews are longing, unlike, unlike Canada, they're longing for their prophet to come and he arrives. This is the moment. Incredible. And most of the people reject him. You you would think that, yeah, I can kind of see why they reject the Old Testament prophets because they're just speaking. They can't really see God directly. So, okay, I get it. But then now, God's son comes, and they still reject. Why? Why wouldn't they listen to their long-expected prophet? Listen to Matthew 21, and this is what we'll end with, this is this parable. Matthew 21, verses 31, 33 to 41. Listen, um, there was a landowner, this is a story that has spiritual meaning to our lives. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard he put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. So this is a landowner. By the way, this landowner is God, all right? And God creates the world beautifully for us. God's allowing, I think most everyone in this room, if you want to, to be able to work, to be able to have, uh, to be able to have a, a, a meaningful life. And he gives us this, this world. Here, it's yours. We're the tenants. He then rented the vineyard to some farmers, that's you and I, and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants, and his servants are the prophets. He was sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. So he says, look, I've made this whole world for you. I would ask that out of respect and gratitude, you would give me a tenth of, uh, of the produce that you've been able to create. It would be an act of worship and gratitude to me. It would help in our relationship." The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. This is how they treated all the prophets in the Old Testament. Luke 13 refers to this, verse 34. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Somebody comes in truth to tell you something, and you kill them. Why would you kill somebody for telling you the truth? Why did they want to do that to Jeremiah? Why would they want to do that to the prophets all through the Old Testament and ultimately to Jesus? Why would you want to kill somebody for telling you the truth? Just incredible in my mind. Then the landowner, uh, oh, sorry, last of all, he sent his son to them, Jesus. They will respect my son, he says. Can you hear the longing in his voice? I have sent my prophets for, uh, you know, a few thousand years and they've rejected every one of them. I know what I'll do. I so long to have a relationship with my children. I'll send my own son. Surely they'll respect him. You can't, you can't disregard my own son. They're not that evil, are they? Surely they can't be that evil. Can Can you feel the optimism? In the father's heart. But when the tenants, you and I, saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir of the kingdom. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, this is now Jesus speaking to the crowd. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? The people replied, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give them his share of the crop at harvest time. (laughs) Why would you and I not want to listen to the truth? Why would we? Why would we just not want to? How could we be a tenant that would be so upset with the message of relationship and respect and honor and love? Why would we be so upset to give ten percent? Pardon me for this is a horrible pun, but it's the best I got. Uh, Short sighted profit blinds us to the long-expected prophet. Here's what I think our problem with truth is. It's long-expected. It seems that whenever God says he's going to do something, there's this delay. Sometimes it happens right away. Most of the time, there's a delay. And in that delay, it's just too long. And so we go, well, this doesn't connect to that. I don't get it. And most of the time, it's short-sighted profit that motivates our lives. As I've studied sin, practically, and and in the Bible, there's one thing that all sin has in common. It's short-sighted. It's short-sighted profit. I can, I can make a quick buck. I can get my needs met right now. I don't have to wait. I can just take matters into my own hands. I can be the master of my destiny. I can do it right now. I just need to believe in myself, do what I want, and follow my heart. That's what it is. And you tell me to wait for you? What have you given me? Anything that I have? I've worked for it and I earned it. You're not the maker of heaven and earth. I make my heaven on earth. I think what bores us with prophecy is short-sighted profit. I can just get what I want now. One of the things, you know, to speak to you honestly, one of the things that frustrates me about Christianity is that it's the long game, not the short game. Christianity does not make sense unless you have about a hundred-year context to it, at least, I think it should be thousands, but at least a hundred-year context. It just doesn't make sense. And so God's words through his prophets and through his son, the long expected son, falls on deaf ears because it's not a quick enough solution for my personal happiness. And we end up killing truth because it doesn't serve our quick and immediate needs. Far and away, my biggest problem with God, far and away, is his apparent delay in answering my prayers. Far and away. I ask for things, and they mostly take a long time to occur. Mostly they do. Beginning with my own change of heart, to also the things that I pray for other people. And I, and I live... In the frustration of uh, living a short sighted life in the context of a long expected profit. And it's hard to live in that tension for me. I don't know if it is for you, but it is for me. This is how Mark 8 responds, verse 36 in conclusion For what does it profit? A man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. Truth gives us 2020 vision. Truth allows us to see the moment of our life in light of eternity. Truth is our salvation. Truth gets us free from our self centered life, our self centered opinions our self-serving agendas and gives us the ability to see life from God's perspective. Through the Old Testament prophets, through Jesus as being the fulfillment of all prophecy and continuing by his Holy Spirit and through his word today. And so this Christmas season, I encourage us to celebrate the birth of truth on earth. I mean, I feel, I feel like those prophets. How do you communicate the heart of God in a way that stirs our soul? You ever thought that? About yourself or when you're trying to talk to somebody else. or You read your, your Bible and you go, know, oh, well, whatever. It was a story about somebody I've never heard of and don't care about How do we let truth penetrate our heart again? And I think from scripture, it's clear to give up short-sighted profit for long-expected truth. Can we please, as a community, have a vision that's longer than our immediate needs and be willing to endure in a way that allows us to stay faithful to our God and to discover not that we were clever and pulled together a life, but that he was faithful and that he was good. So I would like to pray for us as we consider this Christmas season that that we would be able to receive together the birth of truth coming in person. And not be like those of the old, and can I say today, Old Testament and today, that hated truth and wanted to kill it. But that we would welcome truth into our heart and see it for the salvation and good news that it really is. Father, we confess this evening, it's hard to see. It's hard to see your truth. It's hard to see your goodness. And Father, would you please forgive us for the times when we have preferred to kill truth than to submit to it? Would you, by your grace, resurrect truth in our hearts? Would we long for the prophet to come and speak words of heaven, words of life, words of truth, words of love, Oh, Father, would you give us hearts that can receive your truth? Not squelch it, not kill it, but receive your truth as the good news that it's always meant to be. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.